Why don't you go ahead and trade in those brick walls for a few millimeters of nylon for a weekend? What could go wrong? This world is a strange one. Camping is a subject that this scary channel can't stop coming back to. There is a good reason for that. When you leave your city and sacrifice all the protection and amenities that modern society affords you, sure, it can make for a nice getaway until you realize you're nothing more than the worm on the end of a hook. So the next time you go camping, just remember these allegedly real camping horror stories. But first, I'm looking for stories about your crazy ex. If your ex did something psychotic, I'd love to hear it. Send it to us at darknessprevails.org. And if you want hours of bonus episodes, think about becoming a patron at patreon.com slash darknessprevails. Now, gather around my campfire and try to stay warm. Number one, the day I was almost killed by a cougar. Submitted by Lord Ramsey 24 This happened about a year ago. I was 15 at the time, camping with my family, and also a good friend who we will call Zach. We were staying at the Miquelon Lake Campground in central Alberta, Canada. The lake is basically a drying up crap pile now, but the scenery used to be nice, and we know most of the staff at the park. The campground is of a modest size, and is often filled to capacity rather quickly. There are a series of trails over by the park center that takes you through the forest. So one evening during this trip, we decided to walk down one of these trails. After some walking, we found an older trail we had not taken before. It was overgrown, but you could clearly tell it was a pathway. So we took it to see where it would go. After walking for about 20 minutes, we began to hear rustling in the bushes next to us. Zach figured it was a beaver, as they're really common around these parts. But I looked, and to my horror, I saw an intimidating feline face peering at us through the bushes. I could clearly make out its yellowish eyes, but it did not seem like the cougar was moving, and yet we still heard rustling in those bushes. I pointed at the creature, and I told Zach, who was beginning to panic. Cougars usually try to stay away from humans, but in forests like these, they're getting more and more common. So sadly, it's not impossible to stumble upon one. I told Zach that we needed to stay calm, to keep facing the animal and backpedal away. He listened and we both backed off together. I could tell he was spooked, but I told him the rustling was probably its young and that we were probably the intruders. I figured so long as we continued to back away, the cougar would just leave us alone. For quite a while, we backed up down the trail, and when we felt we were safe, we turned our backs to continue walking. We rounded a corner, feeling a bit of relief that we survived that, only to see the cougar standing there on the trail in front of us. It was staring us down, and it seemed like it wanted to attack. I was shocked at how fast and quietly it was able to pass us. At this point, it was very clear that the cougar was toying with us and that an attack could happen at any moment. I had a K-bar knife with me, just in case of situations like this, situations you honestly never believe you'll get into. So slowly, 
I pulled out my knife. Truthfully, a knife probably would not save our lives against such an amazing predator, but it was better than nothing, and it's a useful tool, a weapon for hunting or defense, should the time come. I think Zack knew the cougar was probably going to attack too, given my reaction to the situation and the cougar's odd behavior. We were both tall for our age, but Zack was scrawny. I myself was only a bit larger in my build. Even so, if the cougar chose to attack us, we would be in a lot of trouble. I told him again that we needed to continue to stare it down and back away. We needed to stay close to each other. He was scared though, Zack didn't listen, and stupidly, he started running. Before I knew it, the cougar was running towards us, and it was terrifyingly fast. I didn't stand there and choose to fight the thing. It was so quick to close the distance between us that that's all I could do. Maybe it's a good thing, because if I had turned and run too, then that would only make me vulnerable. There was no use outrunning this thing. Besides, deep down, I was hoping Zack would either come back or at least get some help, if I didn't die before then. Before my mind could process what was happening, the big cat was on me. I blindly pushed my knife into it, panicking, not even thinking about where I should aim it. But with a grotesque sensation, I felt the blade puncture flesh. There was a disgusting pop to it, but the cougar did not react. It did growl though, maybe in pain, but maybe just anger. But the wound I had placed in its chest was definitely not lethal. Then I hit the ground from the force of this cat and I felt the air rush out of me. My hand let go of the grip of the knife, which was now hanging out of the animal. Then I felt the most sharp pain in my shoulder. I think the cougar had tried to bite my throat, but as I had jerked away in a panic, it sank its teeth into the flesh of my shoulder. It was at this point that I knew I was going to die. Oddly enough, when that thought came, the pain began to go away. I think in this fight for survival, my body filled with adrenaline, stopping the immense pain from being full force. In the background, behind us, I heard Zack yelling for help. To be honest, I didn't blame him. I mean, sure, he probably should have tried to help me, while screaming for help still. But some people, when they're afraid, never even think about that. He just did what he thought he had to. I shoved my arm between my throat and the cougar to keep it from getting the killing blow on me, but it didn't seem to care. It began to bite my arm, then tug at it as if it was trying to pull it out of the way to once again reveal my throat. It clamped down hard on my arm, and even now through the adrenaline, I felt that pain. It was deep and sharp. At that moment, I recalled hearing something on TV about forcing your arm down the predator's throat, causing it to gag, and that would make it stop biting you, at least for a moment. So gathering up my courage, I straightened my arm out as best I could, which caused its teeth to twist into my arm even more. But now I was able to force my arm down its throat as far as I could. The pain was terrible, but with the thought of living or dying, I continued to push through it. To my relief, the cougar actually gagged and promptly let go of my arm. It gave me a few seconds of time to prepare for its next attack, but I knew I was still at its mercy, and I knew my chances of survival at this point were low. Suddenly, a loud bang rang through my ears. 
I saw the cougar jump off of me as if it was flinching from something. Then it ran away for a few feet before collapsing onto its side. I stood up on wobbly legs and I saw a park ranger running towards me along with Zack close behind. I'd never been more happy to see anyone. At this point, the pain throughout my body was slowly getting worse. With the relief that I would live through this, my adrenaline began to settle down and I began to slowly feel everything that that animal had done to me and I was far more messed up than I thought I was. There were deep scratches in my left shoulder and torso and on my right shoulder, there was a nearly fatal bite mark. I felt the warm trickle of blood under my clothes and it seemed like everything was burning. During the attack, I had no idea how bad it had hurt me until now. In fact, the pain was so much that I could barely stay standing. When they reached me, the ranger put me on the ground slowly and began to do his first aid, putting pressure on the bitten shoulder while telling Zack to put pressure on some bandages on my arm. I saw Zack crying, which I thought was funny at the time. I mean, he was the one that ran away. There wasn't a scratch on him. I remember thinking, shouldn't I be the one in tears? A few moments after that, I ended up blacking out. The next thing I remember is waking up in the hospital. I had dozens of stitches all over me, and I had to stay in the hospital for a while so that the bite holes wouldn't become infected. I mean, to this day, the arm that the cougar bit is permanently damaged. But even as I think about that, I recall how lucky I am. It all could have gone down differently. I could have made the wrong decisions. I could have panicked too much, forgetting to cover my most vital parts. If it had gotten to my throat, I could have died in an instant. I still don't know though why it attacked us. Maybe we made it mad for some reason. Maybe it was just that hungry, but I still can't understand why a cougar would attack two tall people like that unless it was absolutely desperate. For those that are listening, if I had any words of caution about this story, it would be to stay alert. Before you go camping or hiking, always take a few moments to research some survival tactics just in case, because nature really is scary. And just because we're at the top of the food chain doesn't mean we can't still be a part of it. Number two, always clean up your mess. Submitted by Sophie Sugarcane. I'm from Vegas and my family loves to go on an annual camping trip to Northern California. We go towards the end of April every year because that's around the time the campground opens. Usually the whole family goes, but because money was tight this year, it was just a few of us. There were only two girls going, me included. I even invited a close friend of mine and brought my dog. We stayed a few days with no big events until the last night. The last night my family started a big campfire. We all ate, drank, and had a good time. One thing people do while camping is gather up a lot of trash which of course we had an abundance of, so we were sure to bring lots of garbage bags to dispose of the trash properly. On previous nights, we made sure our camp was clean before bed so no animals would come in. Well, since we were all drunk and tired, we completely forgot to clean up, and that was a big mistake. We all climbed in drunkenly into a huge tent and fell asleep. Until around three in the morning, 
when we woke up to the sound of screaming, or at least that's what it sounded like to me. I'd never heard these calls before from any animal, and I had no idea what it was. My friend who was lying beside me at the end of the tent, which was closest to the screams, got up and ran to the other side, leaving me where I was. I was scared, but I stayed completely quiet. We heard things coming from the meadow about 10 yards away from our tent. My parents were awake as well on the other side, trying to figure out how to get away as quickly as possible. My little brother was still asleep beside me when he began opening his eyes. Right as he was about to speak, I quickly put my hand over his mouth, shushing him, telling him to be quiet because there's something outside. My dad got the keys to our truck ready and began using the alarm system to try and scare off these animals. We heard them out there, digging through our trash, smashing bottles, and ripping through our bags. We all really froze when we heard sniffing behind us. Whatever it was, there was one of them behind our tent, inches from our heads. My dad made the alarm go on and off for clear over an hour, to no avail. All the while, I was holding my dog, praying she wouldn't bark. Thankfully, she was more tired than anything, so she went back to sleep as I held her close. My dad quietly got up, unzipped the tent, and we knew we were about to make a run for it. We all got up quietly with him, not even putting our shoes on or grabbing anything else. Without a word, we all sprinted towards the truck. I was the last one to leave the tent, and I ran as fast as I possibly could, holding on to my dog tightly. My little brother made me get in the truck first and pushed me in. Then we drove off. The sun rose within the next hour while we were driving around. We went back to camp hesitantly and the animals were gone. But dad had seen what they were. He explained to us that there were bears, that there were about four or five of them outside of the tent and it wasn't a mother bear and a few cubs. These were full grown bears that had unknowingly surrounded us scavenging for food. They invaded our campsite because we left trash out. While we cleaned the rest of the campsite, hoping they didn't come back, I noticed at the back of our tent where we had heard one sniffing, there was a trail of paw prints. The thing had been right behind us. At any point, if it wanted to, it could have torn open our tent and feasted on us. Those strange screams live on in my head, like they're coming back for us, and until this point, I'd never experienced true fear. A word to the wise, always clean up your mess, or you should expect some uninvited guests. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, People are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. 
June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Number 3. Mysteries of the Woods Submitted by Shannon M. This happened a few years back. My friends and I decided we would go on a camping trip when most of our friend group had finally graduated. There was a wide range of us from 19 to 16 years of age. We decided to go on a week-long trip. We live in Newfoundland, Canada. Here we have decently dense wooded areas within our city limits, so we decided to camp in the city. I know it's not the typical out of city away from everything camping, but we did what we could as only one or two of us could drive, and more than 10 people in a couple of tiny cars doesn't work too well. We drove about 15 minutes into the woods, basically where we could see the city, but not hear it or be affected by its bright lights at night. It was a nice area. It was atop a hill, but we worked with it. The fire pit we made was in a dense bit of woods that was about 10 feet deep, nothing big. Around us were trees and ATV paths. Occasionally, we saw a few people going for hikes, but no one ever bothered us. Everything was fine and fun for the first few days, running around, going swimming, smoking weed and getting heavily drunk, you know, the wild teenager stuff. After a few days, people started to clear out, but myself, my boyfriend Jason, his little sister Thea, our friend Mike, and a few other friends stayed. During the days, the heat reached about 20 plus degrees Celsius, and at night, it would drop between five and 10 degrees, on the second to last day, it was hot enough to the point that myself and Jason took the cover off the tent to let the heat escape the scorching hot nylon. Around noon that day, Mike and a few others left due to work, but later returned. Thea left to shower. Since we were in the woods, the closest thing to a bath we could get was swimming. This left just me and Jason, so we decided to play some cards in the tent while we waited for everyone to come back. And that's when we began to hear the rustling of garbage bags. We peered out of our tent and we saw an old man. He looked to be in his 60s. He was carrying a garbage bag and was cleaning up our mess. At one point he turned and saw us and he just smiled. He walked up by our fire pit and never came back down. It was weird, but I never thought more of it until after the trip ended. About two to three hours later, we decided to go for a walk to the main entrance where we all got dropped off. We were only gone about 15 minutes. When we returned, it appeared that nothing had been touched, which was a relief, we thought. We decided to play some more cards to pass the time. But when Jason reached into the front pocket of his bag where he had left the cards, he instead pulled out a small bottle that was meant to hold holy water and rosemary beads or prayer beads as well his face changed to an expression of confusion. I asked Jason if that was his parents, that maybe they forgot to take them out. He replied, no, I've never seen these in my life. I even remember checking that pocket before we left the house the other day. Freaked out, we decided not to do anything. It was possibly just a harmless prank someone was playing on us, 
but nonetheless, it was creepy. Later that evening, Thea, Mike, and a few others returned. We told them about the beads and bottle. Everyone thought it was spooky, but never really cared. Mike, on the other hand, the moment the bottle and beads touched his hand, he immediately looked at me and whispered, these were my grandmother's. Where did you get these? Shocked and confused, I explained again how we got them, but this time I told them about the man who was cleaning up the mess we made. Mike continued to act weird. He wouldn't stop smelling the beads all night, and the bottle was in his pocket till we went to bed. After a few hours, we forgot about everything and just got tanked. Around two or three in the morning, I was too drunk and high to stay up, so I decided it was time to hit the sack. About an hour later, Jason joined me. We decided to sleep with the tent cover off, as the nights were only getting hotter. At around 5.30 in the morning, I woke up to a loud scream. Mind you, we couldn't even hear the children screaming with excitement from the nearby neighborhood, so this was odd. The scream sounded like a woman in distress. It happened over and over a few times before I woke up Jason. I told him what I heard when we realized our friends were still up. We got out to tell them what we heard when we heard it again, five to six more times. Our friends told us they heard it a couple of times before we went to tell them, so everyone was hearing this. I've heard people tell me that it could be mountain lions, that cougar's scream can sound like endangered women, but this was different, especially when we could make out the word help in a few of those screams. It put chills through all of us, but none of us were brave enough to go discover what the noise really was. We never did find out what or who made those noises, but I still feel bad for not trying to help. But honestly, that was not my first instinct. Part of me refused to believe it was real, the next day we all went home, and I later saw on Facebook that a local girl went missing the night before, and she was last seen close to where we had been camping. Reading something like that, it really messes you up. Also, I've never gotten back to Mike about that night with the beads and bottle, but I have heard that he held on to both. I've always wondered how the old man got those, if he was even the one to put that stuff in our bag. There are so many unanswered questions about that night. Questions I know won't ever be answered, but still, it was a night that will forever haunt my memories. Number four, Grandma's Story, submitted by Mariko. This is a story told to me by my mother and later my grandmother. It's an incident that my grandmother normally refuses to talk about, and my grandfather will flat out ignore any questions we have about it. Back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, my grandparents were avid travelers. My grandfather worked all the time due to the nature of his job, so when he had even two days off, it was used as vacation travel time. It wasn't unusual for them to pack up their kids in a camper and drive out from their home just east of Chicago and all the way out to the Grand Canyon for a couple of days, all without air conditioning too. Driving down south to camp, beside lakes or hiking in swamps was nothing unusual for them. And even now I'm always hearing stories of places they just now remembered, places they claimed to have camped in back in the 60s. Socially, they would often have huge parties on the holidays at their house, 
and it wasn't uncommon for them to take big group trips to go water skiing with just the grown-ups in the summer. It was on a trip with a couple they were friends with that they would experience something very strange, something that still haunts them to this day. While staying at Clifty Falls State Park, they went out walking one evening after dinner with the other couple, enjoying the nighttime air. After walking for a while, they came upon another campsite. What was odd though, was that even from far away, the people at that campsite seemed extremely tall. Gathered together and standing in a circle, a handful of people stood around a fire. The air there felt weird, but curiosity got the best of them and they started toward them. As they got closer, they got a better look at how tall these people really were. When they were maybe 20 yards from that campsite, my grandmother estimated that the people there were around eight feet tall minimum. Luckily, these strange people didn't seem to notice my grandparents and their friends, but the strange situation alone was enough to send them back to their own campsite fast. That night, my grandparents tried to talk to the other couple about what they saw, but their friends were profoundly upset and they were not interested in discussing it further. It was a few years later after telling the story to another friend that it was suggested to her that what they had seen was an after effect of time travel of all things. It's an interesting theory, though probably a crazy one. But it's worth mentioning that my grandmother, nearly 40 years later, received a phone call out of the blue from the other woman who was with them at the park that night. They talked, then out of nowhere, she asked my grandmother, do you remember that night? The night at Clifty Falls, I mean. That's the first time she talked to my grandmother about what had happened, but it confirms that they had seen it too. It confirmed to my grandmother that it was something she truly experienced. I know this was more bizarre than scary, but beyond all else, I want to know what happened back then. I want to figure out what they saw those years ago. And number five, Camping Terrors, submitted by Squirt Gun Botany. Normally, camping is a wonderful experience. I grew up camping all over the Rocky Mountains, and up until two summers ago, I would tell anyone and everyone that my favorite hobby was to drive deep into the mountains far from people and just camp out. I couldn't even go a few weeks without needing to be out camping somewhere, but I haven't gone camping in two years and probably won't for a few more years because of what happened. I moved to Massachusetts from Idaho about five years ago, and during the summers, my husband and I would take our daughter camping to random places, usually places that our friends recommended. During June of 2015, we found a place to camp near Jamaica, Vermont, the website for the place looked great, so we packed up and headed out with a friend and his daughter for two nights. The first night was fun, yet pretty uneventful. The next morning, our friend had decided to leave. It was a Sunday, so most of the people there had cleared out by 11. By this time, we were almost the only ones there. It left us with a rather creepy feeling, like we weren't supposed to be there. Though usually I'm an intuitive person and trust my gut instinct, I just chalked it up to being alone, that maybe I've heard one too many ghost stories. 
but my stomach seemed to twist in on itself when my husband mentioned too that it felt weird to be there now. He's a Marine and he's not the type of person to be scared like that, let alone for such a stupid reason as being alone in a public campground, especially in the middle of the day. It took me off guard when he said he would like to leave for a few hours, get away from there, get lunch in town, just try to shake the feeling that he had, this knot he had in his stomach. The feeling was gone the moment we drove away from the park, that feeling of uneasiness, of being on edge. We ate and laughed and enjoyed the sun like normal people. We even tried to delay going back there as much as we could, but eventually we had to get back in the car and drive back. It felt like driving back into a dark cave, or rather back into the executioner's arms. Even now as we tried to fake being into the whole camping experience for our young daughter, we felt constantly like we were being watched. No, it was more than that. We felt like we were being stalked or even hunted from a distance. In the middle of the day, in the middle of a very safe, empty campground, I told my husband that we probably needed to go, that this feeling of dread is just growing more intense with each passing hour. Something was telling me that something bad was going to happen. He explained logically that we weren't going to leave, that our gut feelings were wrong, that we were just feeling that sense of being alone in a new place. So I put on my brave face for my little girl. That night, it got dark, and by God, it was dark in a strange, strange way. I've been in the middle of nowhere. I've been camping in the wilderness before, but in this place, even so close to a city as it was, something was different. That feeling of being watched, of knowing something was coming, something bad was going to happen. It was getting a lot harder to chalk the feeling up to just being alone. Then we had to put out the fire and get into the tent for bedtime. I looked down at my baby's sleeping face and swallowed the sheer panic that was welling up in my chest. I did feel a little better as I slid onto the air mattress next to my husband and he wrapped his arms around me. I thought I could close my eyes for a few minutes that maybe everything would be all right. Suddenly, in the middle of all the stillness and surrounded by the strange darkness, my husband said to me, whispering in my ear, we need to go. We need to leave right now. We don't get up and leave now. Something very bad is going to happen. I immediately went into fight or flight mode. I was completely paralyzed. Even thinking about it now, two years later, it makes my heart race. My level-headed, brilliant, objective husband had just told me that we had to leave now, purely from a gut feeling. The moment we raised ourselves up to pack everything away and leave, we heard a loud snap in the distant woods, not the sound of a twig breaking underfoot, but the sound of large branches being broken. The sounds came again and again, growing closer by the second. Frantically, he started cramming stuff into the car, all while looking around, telling me to be as quiet as possible, to not even turn the flashlight on. I looked again at my baby's sleeping face, and I knew that I had to get the hell out of here, and that made me snap out of it. I gently put her in her car seat, and then began slamming stuff into the car as well. The cracking of trees was terribly close now, 
I could feel eyes piercing through me. Something didn't want us there. Something was angry. We were being watched, and I knew something was going to happen at any moment. We both agreed on that. Now, I've almost been attacked by a mountain lion once. I've seen some bizarre, almost paranormal things in my life. I've almost drowned, and I've had drunk men surround me and begin to beat me before. But never have I experienced fear on this level, fear seemingly based on instinct alone. We didn't even see anything. All that happened was that we felt something, and that was truly horrifying. With the car packed up, we peeled out of there as fast as we could, and we haven't touched our camping gear since then. I don't know what it was out there. I don't know what would have happened if we stayed any longer, and I'm glad we didn't take the chance to find out. I've gone camping a few times myself. For me, so far, the scariest part has been waking up both cold and sweaty every morning, plus a few uninvited insects trying to be the big spoon during my cuddle sessions. But maybe I'm just lucky, because as you can see from these stories, the worst can happen. You can get stalked through the woods, you can be attacked by wild animals, you can risk your chances of never coming home. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget to send us your crazy X stories at darknessprevails.org. Plus, a huge thanks goes out to my newest patron, Zen Bloodshadow. Thank you so much for going above and beyond to support this channel.